Hey everyone, Joe here. You're listening to the 11th episode of Like for Like, a podcast where my friends and I talk to some interesting people about what it means to be a creator in the world of social media. My co-hosts today are Alex. Hey. And Jonathan. Hello. On this episode, character and creature designer, educator and novelist Jonah Loeb will be joining us. But first, how are you two? Pretty okay. <laughs> now that we're here. Now that we're not in the car anymore. Yeah. I can Half imagine. an hour of traffic. And a train. <sighs> For an otherwise like 15 minute drive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, when it's bad, it's so bad. Yeah, as soon as we uh, uh, took the exit, I was like, all right, next time, Hunter Road. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're kind of at a loss of words right now. <laughs> we like we literally just got here. It's <laughs> totally okay. <laughs> What you're about to hear is our interview with Jonah Loeb. We had quite a bit more time than usual to talk with this particular guest. Um, so that ended up being like the entire episode. And I think it's a, a really cool conversation. Uh, and I think you're going to enjoy listening to it, or at least I hope you do. Uh, the rest of mine, Alex's and Jonathan's conversation is actually going to be in the next episode, which is coming out on Thanksgiving, uh, on Thanksgiving Day. And that episode's going to be a friend cast, so uh, so no special guest that time around, just uh, three pals uh, shooting the shit. So <laughs> that's that's uh, that's that. I'll let you get to our interview with Jonah Lope. Sweet. Hooray. Hey. <laughs> we oh, have a little bit of an uh, echo, though. Oh, yeah. There might, yeah, yeah, there might be a slight echo. Oh, I think, it's, I think it's gone now. Somebody said hooray and there was an echo, but now it's gone. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, Jonathan's mic. I need to figure out the situation there uh, because I have, well, we have an interesting mic setup going on. And it works. It works. That's all I'll say about that. It works. Okay. Well, hey, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Um, yeah. How you doing? Pretty well. How about yourself? Um, I'm good. I'm good. It's been a bit of a busy day trying to get things done and, you know, and and in place before, um, we go, uh, canvassing for the weekend. Oh yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, listen, I mean, these are, these are, these are dramatic times. Yeah. Yeah. Dark times. It's weird. It's weird to be. It's weird. It's a weird time. Yeah. <laughs> it is. I think weird is a weird is a very good way to describe it. Uh, about as weird as Skype's user interface. <laughs> yes. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's where we're at as a country right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Skype user interface level. Yeah. Oh man. That's worse that than is, I thought. Yeah. That is dark. <laughs> yeah. See. See. You yeah. just have to put it in, in terms people can understand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, put those flyers up. With the Skype logo and just be like, do you really want this? Is this the yeah, life you exactly. want to live? <laughs> Is this what you want for your children? Yeah. <laughs> Vote people. I think we've talked about it in, in the previous two episodes, too. We we try to rep, rep the voting thing as much as possible. Yeah, you got to ride that line between um, speaking your mind and, and trying to institute change and I guess not people not pissing other people off because some people get people don't want to hear it. Yeah. So yeah. that's the fortunate thing right now. We have like basically nobody listening, so we can just <laughs> we can just say whatever we want. 
Perfect. Perfect. Uh, you want to tell our listeners a little bit about um, about what you've worked on? My name is Jonah Loeb, and um, I am a game designer. I'm an illustrator. I'm a fantasy uh, maker and a, and a world builder. So I, if you're familiar with games like Skyrim or Fallout, um, those had my fingerprints on them. I was a character artist while I was there, and I worked primarily on the monsters and creatures um, of those uh, worlds. And that's that's what I did for for seven years, um, right after right out right out of college. And so I've been kind of just working in fantasy since graduation, nonstop. That's great. Yeah, was that yeah. um, what did you go into specifically with your education? Was that like what you were going for was a uh, character design or? I didn't know that I wanted to be a character designer right off the bat. Um, I knew that I wanted to be an artist. Um, I went to a, a, a college with kind of an all around, you know, it was, it was, it was a liberal, liberal arts college. So I, did, I didn't want just the one kind of education just because I feel like there's so many things to learn about in the world. I didn't want to just specialize in just this one subset of things, because what if I changed my mind a couple of years later that I wanted to do something else? I wanted to have that flexibility. So yeah. I was an art, art major. Um, and I, I specialized in um, computer animation kind of at the end of my time there and drawing. Um, so those are my two kind of focuses within that. I kind so yeah, so I then I um I kind of figured out halfway through college that uh, uh, you know I was kind of starting to get a lay of the land with regards to movie studios and game studios. Um, yeah. I thought that I really wanted to go to Pixar. Uh, there'd been one, one alum of my school had gone to Pixar and I was like, Ooh, that's the, or no, he'd gone to uh, blue sky, I believe it was. And then somebody else went to Pixar. And so I, I was like, well, I really want to do Pixar. This that's, that's, that's where it's at. Um, <laughs> but when I, I visited him, I didn't know him well, but you know, I was able to contact him through the alumni services. And when I went out to California to go to SIGGRAPH, which was a computer animation convention, uh, I kind of went out there for, for the convention to kind of like show people my portfolio, try to get a job. And when that didn't happen, basically just asking them, showing them my portfolio and just saying like, why am I not getting a job? Like, like what is, what are you not seeing that you really need to see? So that was really helpful to figure out what I wanted to do for my, for myself. But, uh, I also, when I was out there, went out to Pixar and when I went to Pixar, this guy showed me around and it was unbelievable. Um, area, such a cool workspace. It just looked really amazing. Uh, and then he showed me what he did and they were working, they were working on cars at the time and he was working on a shader that helped to emulate water droplets on metal. Uh, it wow. was very cool. It looked, looked very interesting, but, but when I was looking at it, I kind of got a little disappointed because I was like, wow, this is not the sexy character work that I was hoping for. And, and yeah. maybe, yeah. maybe, if, maybe if I'm just a college kid, trying to find his way in the employment world, I should probably start somewhere where I can get a lot more hands-on control. And so I think when I went out to Pixar, I decided that video games, because there were so many more studios yeah. that made video yeah. games than there are movie studios. And those movie studios are so big, you know, I could spend three years, you know, working on grass at a movie studio. Whereas if I worked at any of these game companies, I could do a lot, I could get my hands dirty with a lot more material. So I figured if I wanted that kind of experience and that kind of exposure early, game studios were, was was where it's at. So I'd already applied to Bethesda twice at that point. Once between my junior and senior year, I was applied for an internship that they actually did not even, they weren't even offering it. 
Uh, I just, I'd seen it done at other studios and I just thought, Hey, maybe I could just make something happen. I didn't, I didn't think much of it, but you know, it, you, I also kind of hoped that something would happen because I was a naive and apple cheeked little college kid who thought maybe <laughs> these miracles happen. Um, never heard back, applied, applied again after college, never heard back. Um, and then that's kind of when I decided I need to go to this convention and just get out there and you know, I wasn't taking it too much to heart yet because it was all still early, but I just decided I need to figure out who my competitors are and what they're offering that I'm not and vice versa. So when I came back from that convention, what I had learned was that I needed to specialize in the job that I wanted. So rather than being an all around good artist who had done some computer animation work and who could model and do some texturing and all that, uh, I realized that I needed to specialize. I needed to kind of demonstrate that I was a master at one particular skill. Yeah. And so uh, I I worked for eight months. I worked uh, eight hours a day at home, just looking through online forums and tutorials and websites, trying to fumble my way through the software and workflow required. <laughs> and, I, and I spent those eight months basically developing a new portfolio that was character art centric. And that's then what I submitted to Bethesda. And Bethesda, I should note, um, Bethesda was uh, literally close to Bethesda, Maryland, and I'm in Silver Spring, Maryland, and the two just happened to be about 20, 25 minutes apart. Oh, so nice. Wow. Having them, having them so close, I felt was a really good, that was, that gave me an edge because, you know, they could, they could have me in very, you know, for an interview really easily without feeling too bad about flying me across the country. And then they could reject me if need be. And it wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't have to like, you know, I don't know. It just seemed like low risk for them to just yeah. take a look at me. So and then they did. And, and, uh, and, and then that's how I got, that's how I got into Bethesda and into the game industry as a whole. And nothing was ever the same again. <laughs> no. No, yeah, it's it's I've <laughs> it's funny. It's it's really funny to think about. You know, uh, games like Skyrim and Fallout have achieved such such fame and got so big. And at the time, I didn't know that Bethesda could be that big and that successful. I didn't know they could be that big of a name because I had found them through Morrowind. Yeah, which I purchased. My have you guys played Morrowind? Oh yes, it's my favorite of the Elder Scrolls games personally. <laughs> yeah. No, it's amazing. I, I, I was, it was my junior year of college and I was kind of looking for a game to play. Mm. I was like, what, what do I want to play? Like, I just, I think I had, I played Baldur's Gate to, uh, uh, yes. <laughs> uh, my freshman year. And then, uh, also played like system shock and that kind of thing. And then my sophomore year, I started playing, Oh gosh, I can't remember what, I think I got really into Warcraft and, and, uh, not world of Warcraft, but just regular Warcraft. Um, yeah. Another game like that. And then when junior year came around, I kind of thought to myself, I really want a big role playing experience. I want a big story. I want big story, you know, things to do. I don't want to shoot them up. So what am I going to, you know, what am I going to um, look for? So I looked at all these kind of top 10 RPG lists hmm. and Marwind kept coming up and I had never heard of Marwind. And I, and I, I only remembered when I started researching this game, cause it looked so weird. It looked, <laughs> yeah. absolutely, it looked, it's bizarre looking. There's it's like, like mushroom buildings on the back cover and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's mushroom buildings and there's guys wearing molded bone armor and the, all the main <laughs> characters seem to be blue skinned with face tattoos and red eyes. And I was yeah. like, what is this? I don't know. This is bizarre. But it was so creative and so completely different. And I never heard of an open world game before. Yeah. So I um, 
So I decided, okay, you know, I'm going to go ahead and spring for this. So I bought it and I started playing it and I totally fell in love. It was totally bizarre, totally weird. I remember I would um, be in my dorm room with the lights off uh, playing this and also playing some Sigur Ross, you know, like, <laughs> and, like, just as, as I'm exploring. And and it was just a pretty, you know, it really made an impression on me. So, but I, and I had known that because it had gone gold, but it was kind of an unglamorous, kind of below the surface gone gold kind of thing where it was, no one had really heard of it, but they, you know, Elder Scrolls by that point had developed such a following. Yeah, this like massive quiet community. Yes, exactly. They were not loud yet. Um, and so, you know, that just meant that that game had just done so well for them that it, they could they could keep making it and keep working on DLCs, et cetera. Yeah, so that's what the first time it came onto my radar. So when I applied, they had, um, oh, I, oh, sorry, that wasn't the first time the Elder Scrolls had come on my radar. I only realized after researching Morrowind, that was so bizarre and all that, that they had done Daggerfall. And yeah. I had seen the Daggerfall with the kind of glittery, like shiny, kind of cellophane exterior to the box art um, <laughs> on my friend's older brother's shelf in their computer room. <laughs> And because I think it had this like skeleton on it and it was making like a scary face. And, I, you know, I'm a monster maker, so I love skeletons. And yeah. And I remember seeing that <laughs> cover, but never seeing the game itself. And so when I realized that this was part of that same franchise, I was like, oh, this gaming company has been around for a while. And they're kind of quietly making these cool open world fantasy experiences and fantasy experiences that are unlike what I'd ever seen. So when I applied I knew they were going to be big. I knew I knew they were they were successful and I knew they were going to get even more successful because by that point Oblivion was starting to show up in magazines. Um yeah. And I couldn't I was kind of like both blown away and a little disappointed by those screenshots cuz they were they were so gorgeous and so beautiful and colorful and yet the art style had gone so much more conventional than Lord of the Ringsy. But, yeah. you know, I was like, you know, what? screw it. Like, I know their formula. I know what they can do. I know what that the, the universes of, of Tamriel is capable of. I'm in. So when I applied, um, they were kind of on the cusp of that. And that's kind of where I hit. That's where I hit the ground running right when they were about to release Oblivion. So that was kind of when I first got there. That was where they were at. Yeah. Because yeah. you worked on, uh, what was it, Shivering Isles? Shivering Isles was my very first um, task. Yeah. The, I, I asked to make something for oblivion when I got there and they said, no, they don't even touch it. Like it's, it'll, <laughs> it'll, it'll crash. Like we're only, all we're doing is fixing bugs right now. Nothing new goes in. And I kind of, I basically just said, you know, I, I begged, can I add a spoon to the game? And they were like, nope, nope, nothing. <laughs> wow. So my first three months of working at Bethesda Softworks, I just played the game mm -hmm. instead of doing anything because I was, you know, that was just they, all they needed at that point was all hands on deck, play the game, play the game, play the game. So even though I got hired as a character artist, I didn't start doing work until a couple months later. And that, and that was on Shivering Isles. And then after that, you had um, Skyrim. What was what was your sort of workflow like as far as designing characters for Skyrim? Was there a specific sort of a method or or a voice that you were going for with those? Yeah. Um, so I had had So after Shivering Isles came Fallout 3, actually. Oh, yeah. And so Fallout 3 was kind of was, you know, I kind of got the handle of the workflow during Shivering Isles. I kind of still didn't. There was a huge gaps in my knowledge, uh, some kind of rather embarrassing gaps. <laughs> um, but I also had 
experience in some software that kind of gave me an edge up where actually people, there's a, there's a software called ZBrush, which allows you to do some very high quality, high definition sculpting. And it's what, it's, a, it's what allows artists to imbue their, uh, whatever they make with really fine, refined dimensional detail. I knew how to do that and no one at Bethesda knew how to do that. So I had these advantages, but I also had these huge blind spots and, yeah. um, shivering aisles. I was kind of fumbling around adding things to the game, but I did get to add a monster or two and that made me feel really excited. So when Fallout 3 came along, that's the project where I started hitting my stride with the workflow, like getting to know the workflow and kind of going through the process enough times that I was able to spend less and less time on the technical aspects and more time on the making of the art. So at the course of that project, that's kind of when I started to learn the workflow and the pipeline and figuring out kind of what people um, or, 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 or what, what it was I could do, you know, uh, from an artistic perspective. And it got me more and more familiar with sculpting humanoid characters and, and humanoid or, or otherwise, and just kind of going through that enough times. So Fallout 3 was a really good time for me to do a lot of intense learning. Yeah. And then when Skyrim came, I was so excited to get back into Elder Scrolls. And I was so excited about the vision of Skyrim because, you know, it's, it's one of those premises that we've kind of seen enough in enough permutations, but that you kind of know what that Nordic theme is kind of going to bring and yeah, to know exactly. that we were going to do. Yeah. The, to know that we were going to do Elder Scrolls, you know, that version, you know, Vikings through Elder Scrolls, that was very exciting. Um, so, so that's really when I hit my stride as an artist, I think um, it was my, you know, I went from learning in hard knocks to real playtime, and that was a really so. I really, I'm really proud of the work I did in that game, and I'm really proud of that game. And I feel like it was just, you know, I would, I never really, I never say anything was meant to be because I don't think anything's ever meant to be. But, <laughs> yeah. but you know, I, it's, not, it's not like oh, I was fated to work on the Elder Scrolls. But what I can say is that when where I was in my career, and was it, you know, the fact that I was lucky enough to be there at the time that Elder Scrolls, uh, you know, five came along, I feel like I was really ready to give it my absolute best. Um, yeah, it was, it was a uniquely perfect scenario. Definitely from a, from a creative perspective and a, and a kind of like create creative, like opportunity perspective. I was just like, I kind of, I think I just understood. I was like, this is it, man. Like you can, <laughs> you can do it. And I think that really got that way. I think I felt that way, like in my heart when it when I was told that I was going to be doing the, what I was going to be making modeling and, and texturing the dragons. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, because that was that was the, once I heard that I was like, well, that is special. Uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah, it was a great. That was a that was a great project. I'm glad that you uh, brought up Skyrim because I was kind of wondering something. You uh, designed the giants in that game uh, from what your AMA said, specifically based on your father, Jim Loeb. Um, yeah. I was kind of wondering, are there any other designs or any other characters that you've created um, that also come from such a personal place? Um, no, nothing else as personal. No. I mean, I think, you know, every one of the creatures I make always ends up being some kind of permutation of myself or my life or my experiences, because, you know, as artists uh, of any kind, you're expected to, you know, I think the best art always comes when you draw from your own experience. Um whether that's sensory or memory or, or emotional. Um, so with, with the giants, you know, I really wanted to give that sense of, of 
majesty and 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 oldness and not just oldness but kind of like a like a just a general bigness and not in a scary way but in the way that you know when you're a kid and you look up at your parent they just kind of feel big you know in in, in these huge ways so i wanted to emulate yeah. that but i didn't really get um i didn't really do that with any other creature per se um but there's definitely, you know, some that I, I am more fond of than others, for sure. Any characters or creatures that you really wanted to put in, uh, you know, maybe Oblivion or, or Fallout or Skyrim that didn't get to make it into the game? Um, I was disappointed that they cut centaurs from Skyrim mm. early, early in the development. I mean, they were never really they never even got to the point where they were seriously implemented in any way. Mm-hmm. They were kind of like a, a stretch goal. But but the the concept for concepts for them were really cool, and I think they were done right, in that they were, uh, and I don't know if they, these are probably available online. I'm I'm sure, <laughs> um, but the concept art they just they were hairy all over. They kind of had horsey faces. They kind of you know the anatomy was integrated. I, I'm a huge. I really it drives me nuts when I see centaurs with with horse bodies and human head you know human torsos tacked on because I'm kind of like you know come on man, <laughs> yeah. come on, like um, there aren't any six limbed mammals why need so many yeah, lungs no. <laughs> yeah let, let let alone something that's like obviously just two animals just spliced on top of each other um, <laughs> yeah. but but the concepts for this were really cool and so i i was really looking forward to doing that you know both because they would look cool and both and because i figured they would just add so much flavor to the world but but you know it, it was just it was a little too much We're cutting away from the interview for just a minute to welcome you into our shiny new ad space. The stuff you normally hear at the end of every episode about where to find us and all that uh, lives here now. We don't have any sponsors for today's episode, but we want to sincerely thank all of you for listening to and sharing our podcast. Telling your friends about us is the best way to help spread this show around. So yeah, thanks. Alex, you want to tell people where to find your stuff? Yeah, uh, you can find me on Instagram at Alex Alston. You can find me on Twitter at Alex Shags Alston. Also, I have a YouTube page called Alex Alston, and maybe I'll throw up a new video one of these days. Uh, you can find my portfolio work at www.jdockle.com. That's J-D-O-C-K-A-L. And you can also follow me on Instagram. I will be posting more soon in the future, I hope, <laughs> um, after I finish up the class, but that's at Dockle Jonathan. Uh, you can find my illustration stuff and some other just random posts uh, on Twitter and Instagram at Joseph R. Strom. And you can find uh, my blog and some music and this podcast and all that stuff at uh, plantasticfanit.com. talked about before you got into the industry um and you were looking at pixar you were looking at more of the film side for a little while uh and you talked about how you felt almost as if you might if you were to go to one of these big studios you'd spend so much time on one project mm-hmm. and then you <laughs> you then you get into some of the biggest projects like in game history like even we're coming up on seven years on skyrim just alone and yeah. we're, it's still talked about um daily <laughs> and um i'm just curious if being part of those projects and like doing so much for so long and having it like touch so many people has that been kind of like the moment for you to realize or i don't know if 
this is what you're thinking uh that you're like okay there's my own story i want to tell um and i want to work on that project um what kind of helped you venture off into that like what made that decision to start working on this book oh yeah um great question so yeah for those who are just curious yeah i'm I'm working on a fantasy series i did i did leave bethesda um i'm working on my own stuff now Mm -hmm. um yeah it was definitely a confluence of things um when i was back in college and i and i made this like short five minute long computer animated movie it was really stupid it was about um uh, these three aliens who meet up in a, in a Egyptian tomb and to play dice at night and then end up waking, waking up a mummy, um, and then running away from the mummy. And that was basically the whole, that was basically the whole movie, but I worked super hard on it and it was like super, you know, as, as, as good as I could possibly do at the time and, and which was pretty amateurish, but you know, that's okay. I, that's because I was an amateur. Mm-hmm. Um, but my r- roommate's father who was an, an author, um, saw it and basically said to me, like, you know, it's, yes, it was a silly story and all that, but you actually know how to tell a story very well, the way that scenes unfold and the, how the action plays out. You actually, you know, he, he said, you have a gift and you should spend your life, you know, bringing that own, that you bring your own dreams to life, not, not others. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was, you know, it was a nice thing to hear. I didn't totally absorb it right off the bat because I was kind of like, well, you know, I just need a job. (laughs) (laughs) I just need money. So I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll come back to that, you know, uh, dream thing in a couple of years. You know, once I get, I just figure I just needed to land a job at any game studio anywhere. And then I would just, just do really well and then use that to move on or whatever. I was just very focused on that. So, um, but then I got a job at Bethesda and then I, not long into being at Bethesda, I, I mean, I, I remember being at the gym and all that and just starting to think and come up, coming up with this completely different world and these main characters and these main characters were all mine and they didn't know, no one else knew about them, but the more I thought about them, the more appealing they became. And so, you know, I just drew from a number of references like, the Dark Crystal. I, I kind of described the Alvani as the Dark Crystal meets uh, Leon the Professional. Um, okay. <laughs> so it's, it's it's you know it's gritty, it's dark, it's violent, uh, it's it's magical, it's moody. Um, so it became this kind of passion project. So I started you know I'm definitely somebody who believes very strongly that you know any one of us can do you know whatever we set our mind to as long as we put a lot of time and effort into it. And we're honest with ourselves about critiquing ourselves in the best, in the, you know, in the most helpful way. You know, I just, I just feel like we, you know, the brain is a, is an incredible, you know, muscle and it can, you know, you can, you can learn all kinds of things, you know, just by, just by practicing and by, by building. And I think that, that there's a huge difference, um, between being like, Oh, I want to write a book and then actually writing the book. And I think that most people, disqualify themselves from that running just because they don't write the book, the book in the first place. You know, they just, they tell themselves that they can't do it. And so they don't, and they're already there. And then, you know, their chances of doing it when it goes down to zero. Yeah. But if you just write the book, you know, one day at a time, just write a page every day, even if it's bad at the end, that's an enormous accomplishment. And most people never get that far. So the way I figured it was this thing was never going to get made by me just wishing it or wanting it. And, you know, the best way for me to approach this would be to write a, like a film script and try to sell the film script. Yeah. So I wrote it as a film script 
I, by the time I finished that, I was like, wow, that's a huge undertaking. That took me a, a long time. And I, I was, you know, so much I didn't know about writing film scripts. Now I want to go back and I want to revise it. So then I revised it and then I did it again and then I did it again. And by the time a bunch of years had gone by, I had done five, four and a half drafts of this screenplay. And as I was reaching this four and a half mark, I just realized, man, this will never get sold because <laughs> Hollywood, you know, it's, it, it, it had just gotten really knee deep into this remake thing, these franchise yeah, things. Yeah. And I realized this was, no one had ever heard of this book before. It was very fantastical, which means it needed a very big budget mm -hmm. and nobody was going to take that chance. And the best case scenario was that I would be able to sell the script because a lot of companies out there will buy good scripts, even if they don't know that they're going to make it just so that their competition cannot have that script. Yeah. Um, and so I figured the best case scenario was somebody might buy it if it was good and then it would be locked away and I would lose the rights to continue working on that story. Mm hmm. And that's all that would happen. And I'd get, I'd get a little paycheck and that would be that. And I just couldn't bear that. Um, so as I got towards that seven year mark at Bethesda, I, you know, I, I had kind of been feeling for a while, you know, that I didn't know that there was a lot more that I could be learning, not as a professional, but as a human yeah. at my same studio, surrounded by the same people who were wonderful, obviously, uh, doing the same job, you know, because even though I started doing, you know, small little things and work my way up to dragons and death claws, my workflow was still essentially the same, which meant that as a, as a worker bee and as an artist, I wasn't really being challenged in the ways that I wanted. And I was kind of addicted to that growing feeling, you know, the <laughs> feeling of like, I spent a lot of time working on something and now I'm just inherently better at that thing. That's exciting. And you know, it's exciting to learn new things. So I, I was kind of feeling a little bit like that at the company. I also felt like after making the dragons for Skyrim and then seeing how successful Skyrim was, I was like, dude, I don't, I don't even like, where do I go from here? Like I just made <laughs> yeah. dragons. Like, like I, I, there's nothing I can make that's cooler than that. I mean, you know what <laughs> I mean? Really it, it was just like, I believe you. Yeah. I mean, literally, literally talk about of all like the different <laughs> cultures in the world. It's always like dragons are always the biggest and baddest. And so it didn't matter if I made a piece of art that was even cooler or like a boss fight that was even more epic and well-programmed, it was still not a dragon. And so I just felt like, okay, I kind of did this in a really <laughs> big way, you know, and, and, and I, I kind of felt like I could just keep doing it, but life is long and I'm still pretty young. And like, I want to go do new things. Um, yeah. You know, I, I kind of talked to Todd Howard about it, you know, and he let me know, you know, that, I had, I had not, I had at no point during my tenure at Bethesda screwed up my relations with anybody. And if I ever <laughs> wanted to come back, I could just ju jump in the car and hop, come out, come on back. And so That's great. that was like the ultimate, you know, with that kind of safety net, you know, mm -hmm. if your safety net is, is you're invited back to Bethesda Softworks, <laughs> then you're, you know, then you're a coward for not trying the stupid, irresponsible thing. Yeah. It's almost yeah. a responsibility mm -hmm. at that point. Precisely. Yeah. I mean, you know, and at that point I didn't have children. I had very few responsive, you know, uh, responsibilities. I was going up to New York to live with my, um, girlfriend who's my, now my wife. Um, cause she was in her second year at law school and she was, she was going to her third. We'd already been apart for two years. And I was just like, you know, 
I need a, you know, I, I need to, to get a change. I need to leave Maryland because I've been here for many years. Um, I just felt like I won the lottery. I'm, what am I going to do? Win the lottery again. <laughs> and the, the woman that I love is up in New York and she's, her job is really important, really, really special. Um, she works in civil rights and, and I just, I just believe very strongly in that. And so, awesome. yeah. yeah. And so I decided, you know, now is the time. And, and those were a lot of the conflict, the, the main factors, but the, but the two main factors was the woman that I love is up in New York and I want to write this book because the story that I want to see happen in the world, it won't get done through movie format, but maybe I can sell, sell a book and then make it into a series of books. And then my movie options are, then they, then they exist, you know, let alone whether or not, whether or not they're good. Now, you know, once I have a book out in the world, now I have a a much better, like, you know, um, standing with regards to getting an idea sold. Yeah. If you have people cosplaying as Rakim, then like (laughs) maybe they're more likely to, to buy it over it. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Precisely. Exactly. So, I, yeah, so I'm, that's kind of where, and, and, you know, and I really, I used to really enjoy writing. I took, I took a lot of creative writing kind of growing up. I just love writing and I love reading books and all that. So I just decided, you know what? I really want to do this. I want to write, I want to write prose. I want to write scenery and I want to write characters and I want to see characters interacting. And I want to, I want these people to come alive in a way that a screenplay doesn't really quite let you it's, you know, a screenplay is a very skeletal format of writing. Yeah. Um, it's very, very much like stage direction, whereas a book is much more absorbing um, and sensory. So mm-hmm. I just decided that uh, I was going to, uh, that, that that was, it just needed to happen, you know, Car- carpe the DM. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> that's beautiful. Yeah. So that's, that's how I ended up up here. So, cause you are, you are an author right now. Um, and your father, well, well, I, I am a writer because I feel I can't call myself an author until I get, until I get published. Oh, That's my, okay. own personal, oh, okay. my own personal rule. I can call myself a writer because I write, but I can't call myself an author until I achieve actual publishing. But I, I do have a book agent and it is being worked on. So, <laughs> gotcha. but thank you. Sorry. I just, need to, I just need to correct you because I, you know, I can't claim to be something I'm not yet. That's no totally problem. Fun. You'll be there. <laughs> thank you. Thank um, you. I hope so. Like a, a series I really like is Earthsea. The Tales of Earthsea. Oh, God, yeah. And uh, I know that... I'm reading that right now, actually. Oh, yeah? Which one? I'm on the um, the second to last one, the Not the Farthest Shore. Gosh, it's it's number five of six. I oh, just... Man. I don't even know I, the name I'm of one I'm just having my mind just <laughs> quietly... Qui- every time I read it, I'm, my mind is just quietly blown, yeah. you know? But the name escapes me now, but uh, Ursula Le Guin, her parents, they were... Uh, what was it called? They They're basically some sort of archaeologists to some level that like research cultures and everything um i was just kind of curious because your father is also a a journalist correct that's right yeah and your wife uh is a civil rights lawyer so do you also pull inspiration from them as well with the writing of this world that you're creating i do and and from my mom as well my mom works in human rights um (laughs) i definitely i definitely do you know i i think that as storytellers and as builders of fantasy worlds i think we are you know, it's incumbent on so-called creators to 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 tell stories that are worth telling, um, and that that feel real in your heart, and that and that speak truth. You know, fantasy is nice because fantasy lets us escape from the world. Mm-hmm. But I think that real fantasy doesn't just help us escape. I think it helps us grapple with the world and understand the real world more. You know, the fa- fantasy worlds, in my mind, exist to help us 
make almost better sense of our own. And, and, you know, it's like a lot of these, you know, a lot of the hooks in certain sci-fi movies or, or fantasy, you know, uh, movies, there's, you know, it, you know, it's, it's a world that is somewhat approximate to our own one that we can understand with different peoples and different, whatever, but, but different, different cultures and different lands, but they're all basically, you know, it's full of people like us more or less doing their thing. But then there's something different about that world and there's something special about that world and how then do humans react to that? You know, what is the natural human response to that? Um, and how does that play out over, over a grand scheme? So mm -hmm. when I think about the world that, that I try to write, I try to, you know, I'm just, I, I'm not just going for like cool. I want it to be cool, but I want it to also be, feel kind of nourishing. And I think that I can, I can bring that. I think you kind of referenced my family in some ways. I can bring that from them in a couple of different ways. My, my grand, my, my father is a journalist who, um, focuses on us foreign policy in the middle East. Uh, so he knows like f factually speaking, he, he just knows almost everything there is to know. It's kind of amazing. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of ways in which my dad's a very strange fellow, but he, he knew he's done his homework over the years and he's specialized and he just knows everything about U S foreign policy in the middle East and middle East policy and middle East, middle East history, et cetera, et cetera. So to hear from him just how complicated things are and, 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 and to, and to, and to get an understanding from him about some of the ways that governments can operate, uh, against one another or in tandem or can operate in regions that are not their own, knowing what, what, uh, cultures and histories and religions kind of how they interact with one another or how they can interact with one another in close quarters. Um, the large scale movements of nations, you know, that, that, that kind of thing is something I think maybe I'm a bit more aware of because of his work. Not that I've ever been particularly involved in his work, but I feel like I've vicariously gotten that with him from him through conversations over the years. Yeah. And so in, in the, the politics of my world, you know, it's, it, it's very, there's kind of a geopolitical situation going down such that there's three main countries and the, the and the, the first story takes place mostly on the one in the middle and then the two kingdoms, kingdoms on either side, which are two different kinds of kingdoms. One's like a, a dynasty and the other one is much more feudal, but they're both kind of vying for control of this center land. Um, you know, it, it's those kinds of geopolitical struggles that kind of interest me and, and so often create uh, at least one of the two main pillars of any kind of good fantasy story. You know, yeah. usually it's who are the nations, how are they battling, and then what's the real threat? Like who's, who's the evil that needs to be vanquished that is the true evil of all? Um, those, those tend to also, you know, often run in parallel to one another in, in fantasy and sci-fi. So that's one aspect of it. And then, um, my mom who works in human rights is very into dreams and Jungian psychology and symbolism and all that. And I'm not nearly as deep into that as she is. And yet I, I've read books on it and I find it so inspirational because our dreams are endlessly weird, endlessly affecting and, you know, so different from one another. And yet there are also many different kind of archetypal dreams out there in the world. The idea yeah. that we all sleep and all go to different places in our minds that are in many ways our own place, right? They, we go inside of ourselves when we're asleep and we talk to our inner selves. That's the stuff of fantasy. Yeah. And that's some really good material. And so my main character is... Uh, an Alvani, which is, they're a member of the dreaming, the dreaming people. 
and she has visions and she sees things, um, things that don't necessarily make sense, but she can also use these powers to kind of connect with other people in kind of sensory psychological ways. Like a collective Um, consciousness sort of thing. Yeah. As the story goes, she can kind of click more and more into the collective unconscious. At first it's just individuals. In fact, in book one, um, it's mostly just her. She's a girl, like a 13 year old around there. And then Rakim, who you mentioned before, who's a, a black furred kind of cat man with, with an affinity for sharp objects and a mind that is unraveling, you know, his, as his mind and soul kind of fall apart over the course of the book, Michaela, my protagonist being a, you know, someone who wields the power of the dream is able to kind of sustain him and direct him and keep him moving in, in some very critical ways, um, kind of through a dreamlike kind of subconscious, you know, uh, uh, power and connection, um, which is, it's hard to describe at first. And then as, as the book goes on and as the series goes on, you get a much better handle of exactly what the hell it means to be a master of the dream. Um, so those are very, very cool. inspirational. <laughs> yeah, it's very, yeah. So I think I, w- I would safe to say that I took inspiration from both of them. And as for my wife and, and the civil rights, you know, stuff, I just, you know, that, that is a much more, uh, takes a much, a bit more of a backseat and yet it's ever present, you know, insofar as I believe that, you know, uh, bigotry is evil. And I believe that, uh, uh, homophobia is evil. And I feel like, and these are very banal evils. These are evils that, you know, we have all felt, you know, we've all felt a little bit racist sometimes. So we've all mm-hmm. judged other people for generalizations, you know, that we make about about them, snap judgments that we've made based on basically nothing. You know, that is it's such a common evil in the world. I think we live in a world that is that is is the shape the way it is because of history and because of culture. So getting a chance to reimagine a new world with new rules and and societies that can maybe reflect what I deem to be much more accepting and universally loving societies or not, you know, depending, you know, one or the other, I can, I can do it how I like, you know, as a, as a creator, but by representing these worlds and, and showing that there's nothing scary about people who are different from you. Yeah. That's, I guess, comes back to what I mean about telling stories that are worth telling, you know, not just something that's, you know, cool. Cause Ooh, there's swords and there's blood and all that. And trust me, my book's got lots of swords and lots of blood and it's got demons and monsters and, <laughs> you know, all this stuff. But it's also got, you know, lots of different people who are very unlike each other, who learn to love and trust each other, you know, and for all in all different kinds of ways. And, you know, that's the kind of to me, that's just that's just human values, you know, um, and I want to I want to get that in there. And I, you know, I never want it to be in your face. But at the same time, you know, um, it's going to be there in the subtext. Yeah, it's there. It's there, you know, and, I, and I'm not like particularly interested in people who like to shout out, you know, oh, social justice warrior, social justice warrior. I have no yeah. <laughs> I have no interest in engaging with someone like that because that's it's it's just, I don't know. To me, it's a silly way to be. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, you're just being ignorant in ways that you don't need. You don't you really don't need to be. And and I think that something that's so startling about this kind of, you know, people who are kind of so adamantly against social justice warriors that every time they see a person of color or a woman, you know, and what, what should, what should be a man's role, you know, whatever it yeah. kind of really bothers them. And, and what, and what blows my mind is, is, you know, can't just because this person has this difference from you, what do you mean? You can't relate to them. Like, <laughs> don't you understand that they're just a human and that you, their story is also your story. Like, 
you know, yeah. like, you, you don't, they don't, yeah, no. So that's, that's kind of the crux of it for me is, is simply building a world where everyone is so very different and yet we're not, you know, and that's, and that's, you know, it's, it's so baseline. It's so like, that's so not a revolutionary thing to say <laughs> in my mind. Yeah. Um, it is sort of the social but, zeitgeist right now, but that's, yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, that's, that's where that influence comes in. So that's the long answer to your question about does my family influence me? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They Great do. answer. No, no wow. seriously. Very insightful. <laughs> Thank you. You're, you're, you're a writer um, and an artist. What is it that you like to do that is outside of the world of art? Um, I like to work out. Yeah. I, I don't, I'm not like a gym rat or anything like that, but I just feel like um, going for a run, uh, lifting weights, et cetera, is a good, you know, I, I think we forget as humans that we are also animals and that, mm -hmm. you know, if you, if you have a dog and you don't walk your dog for a day, your dog looks absolutely miserable. <laughs> and I think we just forget as humans that just because we are thinking beings that operate on, you know, jobs that work nine to five or where we sit all day and we check our phone a lot and all that, we're still just animals and we need to be walked. So I'm a big fan of, you know, I think that exercise helps me clear my head a lot. I love gaming, although I do not game nearly as much as I used to. Um, because in part, because when I made Alduin, the world eater, I gave myself tendonitis because uh, he was so complicated and I was trying to work so fast on him and for so many days. And this ten tendonitis in my left, in my right working hand has really affected my ability to be on the computer for long periods of time, you know, clicking a mouse. Yeah. So wow. I used to just, just glory rage, you know, on like Counter-Strike uh, or <laughs> Team Fortress or, you know, great first person shooters. And I was just... You know, the, the the quick, you know, nimble, you know, whipping my mouse around, blowing people up, you know, just the... the 360 no-scope champion. Totally. Like that kind of thing. I love that kind of thing. But um, but I, I can't play those kinds of games now for more than a day or two without like really feeling it in my wrist. And these days, you know, I'm, I'm getting up there. These, you know, I'm not as young as I used to be. And and, and what, what power I have, I have to save for my art because that's going to, that's what's going to... That's what matters, right? That's how I'm going to make my living. Yeah. Um, and it's my passion. You know, I got I got So I got to protect it. So to the detriment of my video game playing, I am focusing much more these days on just art, which is less stressful. But I did just play Dishonored 2 and just like was like just loved it so much. So, yeah. <laughs> nice. And last year I played Doom twice through. And I believe I also played Wolfenstein twice, twice through. I just thought both games were so good. And X and XCOM too. So I guess when you come, when you, when you break it down like that, I guess I play a lot of games. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not an everyday thing, but it's still very much part of your life. That's that's yeah, good. yeah, totally, totally, exactly. I, I just yeah. want to play a D and D campaign in the the world that you've built. Oh, one day, one day. Although, man, I've been listening to Critical Role, um, mm -hmm. which is like just my new favorite thing to to listen to while I work because it's like a narrative, but it's also like I'm hanging out with a crew of people yeah. and. It's just great, and I love everybody in it. Um, there's a lot of rules to D and D, man. My goodness, <laughs> there can't there's be. There's a lot. It sort of depends on your implementation of them too. But uh, we we will have to have you on another time to talk more about um, about world building and all that because uh, because that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. Sorry if I got a little long winded. I tend no. to go. No, totally. Long winded is totally fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it means Good. less work for us, honestly. Sure. <laughs> You want to tell everybody um, 
everybody where to find your stuff, where to follow you online, where to support you? Yes, absolutely. Um, well, I, th- thank you everybody for listening. Um, if you want to find me on Instagram, I am, I am, my, my tag is, <laughs> I am Jonah Loeb. I am Jonah Loeb, J-O-N-A-H-L-O-B-E. And then my Twitter handle is just Jonah Loeb instead of I am Jonah Loeb. And if you want to find me on Patreon and support me there or or check out my art, you know, I do uh, art breakdowns, I do live updates, et cetera. You can find me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Jonah Loeb. Um, and I'm on Twitch uh, at Jonah Loeb, but I'm not, I don't, I'm, I'm not on there as much as I would love to be. So, um, cool. but either way, those, that's where you can find me. So yeah, thank awesome. you. Well, thank you so much for talking with us. Uh, that was really nice. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being on here. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, listen. Once we, once I figured out Skype and got my got my act together, it, this was very easy. This is very easy. You guys, are honestly, easy. just thank one you. of those days. Totally. Yes. Yep. That's how it goes. Well, we'll uh, right. we'll talk to you soon, man. Have a safe trip. All man. right. Thanks a lot. Thanks, guys. Take care. You Bye. too. Bye. Bye. You can find show notes for this and other episodes at lflpodcast.com. That's lflpodcast.com. I want to thank my co-hosts, Alex and Jonathan. Always fun. And thanks again to Jonah for joining us. Links to most of what we talked about today will be in the show notes as always. Thank you everyone out there for listening to the 11th episode of Like for Like. Take care of yourselves and remember... If you're cold and you're shivering, well, that's just the best time to be chewing gum. That's uh-huh. Yeah, because your teeth are, uh, you know. Yeah. Put some gum in there. It's good. Chew it took it me a second to get it. <laughs> really good to work on that chewing. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It's good use of time. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs>